What's going on, everybody? It is Jason Jaybird Goldstein here for another episode of The Bird's Eye View. We have a lot to talk about today. Yankees get a big sweep over the Texas Rangers uh, with, the, with the, Tampa Bay, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays losing yesterday. Now we're one game ahead of them in that wild card spot. Huge series coming up against Boston this week, and I'll preview that in a bit. I'm also going to talk a little bit about last night's Thursday night football game, although kind of a boring game. And as I said, I'm watching Sopranos. Me and my dad are in the home stretch, season six. Uh, not going to give away any spoilers because I have a couple friends who are watching it now. But yeah, it's getting really, really good. And I'm like, it's Panthers-Texans. Like, do I really need to watch that game? I mean, I had my investment. I had Davis Mills and the Texans covering the spread, but they didn't. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, previewing the rest of the rest of the Week 3 games. And we're going to preview some of Week 4 college football. First things first. Let's go in the, the Yankees-Rangers series, and we needed to get the sweep. It was bad enough that we lost three games between the Indians and the Orioles. This was a stretch where we needed to be 8-2 and two at worst. Uh, we ended up going 7-3, and three, which isn't that bad. Would have preferred to be 8-2 and two at worst, 9-1. and one. Yeah, swept, we could have swept the Orioles and then maybe okay, dropped those two games into the Indians. Uh, if we were lucky, somehow take one, even though that was never going to happen with those games. Uh, but regardless, Tampa Bay did us a huge favor. They took two out of three from the Jays, and the Jays lost last night to the Minnesota Twins. So right now, we have a one-game lead on the Jays. Uh, we're two back of Boston. And this Rangers series, we got the job done. I mean, it was an easy win on Tuesday. We had a strong outing from Monty, on, and, he just, he's, and he's been just great on Wednesday. That was Wednesday's game. Uh, and Mike King... And Mike King's been fantastic almost every game out of the pen. Uh, wait, no, no, so, sorry. Actually, let me go back. I, I, I got a little confused. We had the off day Thursday. Monday was the easy win. Green, Holmes, Jolie, Chapman, they were all shut down. Uh, Jolie against his former team looked great. Tuesday was, again, the second game. Monty looked great in that game. And then initially the plan actually was him to come out of the go out in the sixth inning, and then have Severino pitch the seventh and possibly the eighth. But Monty delivered, you know, got a little uh, trouble in that sixth inning. So we bring in Mike King, who goes an inning and a third, gets three strikeouts. And Mike King, man, he's been fantastic out of the bullpen all year long. I'm always worried with these bullpen guys or any pitcher when they come back from injury. The rust factor, not Mike King. He had it. He's had it since coming back. And I mean, when he started games, the 0 4 record probably comes from him when he was starting games. It was not the best as a starter, but coming in long relief, he's been fantastic out of the pen. And if this team makes the postseason, he's going to be huge. And then he finally opens the door for Luis Severino to pitch. I mean, Severino. Had him pitch in 707 days. He missed all of 2020. And if you think about it, Severino really missed all of 2019. Yeah, he pitched in that 2019 ALCS, and that's the last time we've seen him pitch. But he wasn't healthy. Severino missed that entire season, pretty much. He came back and made four or five regular season starts. So we really haven't had a healthy Severino since 2018. And it was just good to see Severino out there. 
Now, at this point, he's not going to start for this team. His, uh, his role is to come out of the bullpen, get a couple outs, and look, he looked pretty sharp on Wednesday against the te- Texas Rangers. Yeah, it's just the Rangers, but look, we have nine huge games coming up. He's going to play an important role in those games. Uh, if the Yankees are able to win those games and make the playoffs, I imagine Severino's going to have a pretty important role to play on this playoff roster, especially coming out of the bullpen, possibly to give us three or four innings of long relief if we need it. And I'm just happy to see the guy back out there. I mean, I love Luis Severino. 27, 2017 and 2018, he was one of the top pitchers in all of baseball. Uh, then obviously 2019, as I said, he got injured, missed most of that year, didn't pitch in 2020, and then this season just came back. Uh, hopefully Severino, after all the injuries, comes back. Uh, the velocity wasn't there Wednesday, but like the dude had, excuse me, Tuesday, but the dude had him pitch in 707 days. You can't expect him to be throwing high 90s to 100. And like, you know, that's still throwing 95 when he's coming back from injury. That's great. I, I love Sevy. I absolutely love Severino so much. And if he can get back to that form he was in 17-18, especially the first half of 2018, then we have a good, really good one-two punch with Garrett Cole and Severino for next season. And not to mention that, you know, Tyone, Montgomery are going to be there. Possible that the Yankees add one more arm if, unless they believe that they can get Luis Gilles to get his command issues under control. But this season, it's Severino out of the bullpen, and that's going to be the case. Look, that's great because the Jays losing two out of three of the Rays and losing that game against the Twins is awesome. We hold that one game. We hold that one game lead, but it's go time. It's go time. Like, all right, at this point, the Yankees are not catching Boston. Even if we take two of three from Boston, we're still one game back. But their last six games are against the Orioles and the Nationals. Our last six games are against the Blue Jays and the Rays. Fate, like if if the Yan- the Yankees are not going to be two games better than the Red Sox over those six games. So even if we take two of three this weekend, which we really need to, then the Red Sox that that at least that puts us in good position to at least get the second wild card spot. But Boston most likely is going to host the first host that wild card game. Uh, we will need Toronto. They lost yesterday. Hopefully they can lose another two or three to Minnesota, and that would be big, allowing us to have more separation going into that series. But, yeah, I'm not going to look ahead to that Toronto series. I'm going to obviously scoreboard watch, but right now, this is it. We have to take two or three from Boston. We started 0-7 against them, and they kept embarrassing us. Since then, we're 6-3. and Now, I'm not asking to go into Fenway and get a sweep. That's a really tall task, although I'd love it. But winning two out of three is very possible. I mean, the Yankees have the pitching edge in all three matchups. Uh, I was looking ahead. You know, tonight, it's Garrett Cole versus Nathan Avaldi. Now, Garrett Cole, the last two starts for you, man, have not been great. I get you're probably dealing with that hamstring injury that made you leave the game against Toronto, but he wasn't sh- he wasn't sharp against Baltimore. He had the bases loaded in the first, left the game with the bases loaded, I believe the fifth inning, didn't even get through five. Uh, and then there was the game against the Indians, which was just a disaster from Cole where he got absolutely shelled, booed off the mound, which, I mean, if you're booing Cole, then you're just an idiot. Yeah, he had a bad start, a rough start. The dude's been carrying, anchoring in the rotation all fucking year. He's been arguably the best pitcher in the American League, maybe outside of Robbie Ray, who's probably going to win the Cy Young after that start. But, like, really? You're booing this guy? That's why we have such an idiotic fan base. And Avaldi, man, we have to hit this guy. I mean, he always pitches well against us. I know he's nasty, Nate. You know, we, we last outing against us, he wasn't great. 
uh, wasn't bad, but he wasn't great. But we hit Nathan Avoldi. We've seen him so many goddamn times this year. Hit him. Get those hits. Stanton, Judge, Gallo, all keep up your hot streaks. DJ, elevate the baseball. Glaber, you know, you've been hitting the ball a lot better since moving over to second. Continue that. We have to win this game. Establish, win that first game of the series. Gives you a good chance to take two of three, especially when you win with your ace on the mound. All right, we need we need the Cole shoved against the Ashers, the Cole who shoved against the Angels, not the Cole of the last two starts. And then Saturday, it's Nasty Nestor versus Pavetta. Well, guess what? Pavetta is not a very good pitcher. We can easily hit this guy. But every time we say that, we see a pitcher with an ERA over four, an ERA over five, who we know we can hit. They kill us every single time. And look, Nestor Cortez struggled against Texas, but he's been great all year. He has been nasty in Nestor. We need nasty Nestor. More of that this season. Against Boston, uh, I believe it was like coming out of the All-Star break, Nestor didn't have his best stuff against Boston. But hey, that was his first appearance coming out of uh, after the COVID stint he had. Plus, he wasn't really starting games at that. Or he, he was in the mix, midst of starting games, but came out of the bullpen that game. That was arguably one of his worst appearances of the season. Uh, and we can't have the guy who showed against Texas. We need Nasty Nestor again. Uh, we've seen him ball out. We've seen him pitch great this season. Uh, yeah, let's just let's get a let's get a win here Saturday. Definitely one of those two games. Can't be going into Sunday looking to avoid the sweep. And yeah, like again, you just, you can't get swept or you can't lose this series because uh, that essentially means you have no chance of passing Boston. Uh, for getting that first wild card spot, and it puts you in a tough position against Toronto. Cause, let's see, we go one and two in this series. Toronto's not getting swept by by Minnesota. Then maybe if we're lucky, they lose three out of four. We still have that one game lead. But you know, best case scenario, we you know we sweep. Toronto lose, either goes two and one or splits. We all, or Luke goes either two and one or one and two over the next three. We hold possibly a two or three game lead. Or we just uh, sweep and hope they lose three out of four. No, if we if we it doesn't matter. Just I'm not gonna focus on that on that Toronto series. Just win two out of three. We have Sunday night. We have Monty versus uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, and Monty's been awesome versus the Sox this year. But Erod, he's been awesome against the Yankees this year too. Uh, probably another one of those games where Monty gets little to no run support. This will be Sunday night baseball. Win this game, guys. I mean, Monty, you've pitched great. Eduardo Rodriguez is not the best pitcher. We have the pitching edge in all three games. Now, again, asking for a sweep is a tall task. Although the bullpen looked great this series against Texas. We need more of that great bullpen against Boston. The sweep's possible. We have that pitching edge. But, again, I'm not asking for that. Just take two out of three, boys. Uh, Minnesota, please take another two out of three. Take End, end up taking three out of four from Toronto. Because if that happens... We build a two-game lead going to that Toronto series. Really, you need to at least need to try to take that series to clinch a playoff spot. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to talk about that Toronto series too much. I'll see how this Boston series goes. When I do my next episode, I'll be recapping the Boston series, and I'll be previewing Toronto. And that series is really what's going to determine the postseason for us. As long as, as long as we don't get swept and Toronto doesn't take these next three games, uh, that Toronto series is definitely going to be what decides our season. Uh, quick things now about baseball. The Cardinals remained hot. They swept the Brewers after sweeping the Padres. You know they had it. The Padres had that must-win series. Cardinals dominate them, 
sweeping the Brew Crew, including coming back from 5-0 yesterday. The Cardinals are the hottest team in baseball. They've won 12 straight games. And look, when they get into that wild card game, whether it's the Giants or the Dodgers, it's going to be a tough matchup for either of those teams. And it's not fair that one of those teams is going to win 105 games and have to play in that wild card game. While the Padres are just continuing their free fall after getting swept by the Cardinals, they... Did they end up beating the Giants yesterday, actually? Uh, when I looked, they were winning, blew the lead, that I think came back. So I believe I believe they beat the Giants, but they still lost two out of three. Uh, yeah, they did beat the Giants on a walk-off in the 10th. I did kind of remember seeing that. All right, so regardless, they've lost two out of three to the Giants. They got swept by the Cardinals. This team is now 77-75 and 75 after having World Series aspirations. Changes are coming in the front office. It's a mess right now in San Diego. And yeah, even Fernando Tatis and Machado are butting heads. Seems like it's just uh, Machado trying to be a leader. Uh, Tatis is the young guy. First time he's really struggled in his career and slumping. Uh, but yeah, who would have thought the Padres were going to be this bad? So bad. Go on, and we're going to preview Week 3 NFL action. First up, we have the Cardinals versus the Jaguars. And, if this, and we have... Two former college coaches, Urban Meyer versus Cliff Kingsbury. Now, if this was college, Urban is crushing Kingsbury, probably like 55 to like 17 or something. But this isn't college. This is the NFL, and we've seen Urban struggle in his two games. And it looks like Urban, you know, I know it's only week two, but I have a feeling he's going to be a one-and-done type coach. He's just not – it's just been a disaster since he took over. And Kingsbury has looked fantastic in his first two games this season. And the offense is rolling. The Cardinals, like it's, because it's the NFL and not college, Kingsbury's going to crush Urban, in my opinion. The Cardinals are so much better than the Jaguars are. Kyler Murray's going to get rolling this game. D-Hop, Rondale Moore, A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, they're all going to have a day against that porous Jacksonville defense. I mean, I think this is going to be a slaughter. The Cardinals open a 7.5-point favorites. And, yeah, they're going to they're gonna cover that spread easily. The Jaguars suck. I might have been worried about the Cardinals not covering that spread. And once again, odds are courtesy of the Barstool Sportsbook. And they're the odds as of Thursday night. I wrote this outline Thursday night. Obviously, they can shift due to guys being active or inactive. Uh, so these are the lines I currently have. Uh, maybe I'll give my updated picks as Sunday rolls around. But yeah, like, I just think the, the Cardinals are going to kill them. I think the Jags might be able to get some garbage time touchdowns. We might get like a touchdown here or there from Trevor Lawrence. But that defense is really good in week one. They're playing a really good in the second half of week two. They're playing a really bad offensive line in the Jaguars. The front seven should have their way. They're going to easily cover that seven and a half point spread. And look, I don't trust the Jaguars offense. The over-under is 51 and a half. And I just do not trust the offense for the Jaguars for this game to go over. So I'm going under 51.5 in this game. And be advised, all these all these things I'm saying aren't bets I'm taking, but they're bets looking at the current spreads and over-unders that I would take. The Giants open as three-point favorites against the Falcons, and this over-under is 47.5. And, and this is the game, Giants. This is the game that you have to win. There's no reason to lose this game against the Atlanta Falcons. The Giants have looked awful in Weeks 1 and 2, but the Falcons have looked like the worst team in the NFC, maybe outside the Detroit Lions in Weeks 1 and 2. They have a terrible defense. Last week, we actually opened things up on the offense. The deep ball was working. The read option was working. You know who else? You know who struggles against both of those? 
the Falcons. They got killed on that week one against the Philadelphia Eagles. And now the Giants, that's one of them they did really well last week against a good Washington defense. We're on 10 days rest. We had a horrible, horrible loss week two. A sour taste in the mouth. Joe Judge should have these guys fired up and ready to play. The offense should be rolling against this awful Atlanta defense. You know, hitting those deep balls, throwing deep to Galladay, hitting Shepard in the slot, running with Saquon, doing that read option. There's no reason for the Giants to lose this game. I think we're going to beat the Falcons. We're retiring Eli's jersey this game. You have to win on Eli's jersey retirement day. No reason not to. It'd be embarrassing to Eli if we don't win on the day we retire his jersey. Especially, especially against this awful Falcons team. Again, this team, they're on 10 days rest. And Joe Judge, I'm no longer in the camp where I think he's a great coach, but he has to have these guys fired up. They were so undisciplined last week. They had the horrible loss, the drop, the turnover against... Not the turnover, the uh, offsides. Like he's gonna be fired up. I think we're gonna be a guy. I think we're gonna beat Atlanta. We should. We're gonna cover that three point spread. They're a shit team. They're a shit team. We're not a good team, but we're better than this Atlanta team. We have the pieces on offense to crush this team. We have the front seven to get after this Atlanta offense, which has really struggled, especially on the offensive line. And look, the secondary has not been great. I don't think the secondary is gonna necessarily have the best time stopping. Calvin Ridley or Kyle Pitts, although James Bradbury, this is the game where you finally come back to being the James Bradbury that we knew from last season. Ridley's not Terry McLaurin, although Ridley's a very, very talented wide receiver. Now, it's you can take him. Don't let Kyle Pitts get open, as we've seen the tight ends have killed us in this first two games. And Saquon, look, you had the big 41-yard run last week. But now this is the bad Atlanta defense. Take advantage of that. Get rolling. We shouldn't have to talk about you get rolling. You've had 10 days rest. Win this game, Giants. Win the, I think we win this game. We're going to cover the three-point spread, and I'm going over 47.5. They were going to destroy this Atlanta defense. I think the Atlanta def- offense will make some plays against the Giants enough to have them at least uh, score enough points for the over to hit. So I'm going over 47.5, Giants minus three. Ravens-Lions, and this is maybe a trap game alert. The Ravens, they're fresh off the high of their Sunday night victory against the Chiefs. An awesome win, a great comeback win. Uh, huge win, and it feels like, you know, maybe they'll let down against the Lions. They're not going to let down against the Lions. Look, the Lions are on a short week against after a rough Monday night against the Packers where they couldn't stop Aaron Jones. But the Ravens, they have all this assortment of running backs. They have, you know, Latavius Murray, Devonta Freeman, uh, this rookie Williams, uh, Lamar Jackson, he can play like a running back. The, Ra- the Lions are going to have trouble containing this uh, running game of the Ravens all game long. Now, I think Dan Campbell will hang around here. You know, this is at Detroit, their home. Uh, I think the the Ravens defense has its holes due to the injuries. So I like this game to go over 50 as well. And I like the Lions to cover the eight-point spread. Browns, Bears, the Justin Fields era begins where he started his college career in the state of Ohio against the Browns. And I'm excited to see Justin Fields to start. But, oh, boy, he's going to have a tough time because that offensive line is going to have its hands full with Miles Garrett. And although he hasn't been great this season so far, Jadavion Clowney, but still, this is a bad Bears offensive line. These two guys could really take advantage of that, get after Fields, put the pressure on him. And that's where we saw some of Fields' uh, worst times in college, where the pressure broke down around him really early. That's, that's the key for the Browns to really stop in Justin Fields. But even so, this game feels a lot like it did when they 
when the Bears played the Rams, where the Browns are just going to control this game, running the football. The Bears' run defense looked bad in that week one matchup. Now they go up against the best offensive line of football. They go up against the best running back duo in football. The, Bear, the Browns are going to dominate this game at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football. It's why they'll win this game. I think the Bears will do just enough to cover that seven-point spread, but this is going to be a Browns victory. Like It's not, it's not going to be a first start, first win for Fields. And I love Fields, but the Browns are just better than the Bears are. I think they cover, and I like over 45 and a half. I think the, ba- the Browns are going to take advantage of that. Bears defense established the run, and I think Fields will make some big plays with his arm against a suspect Browns secondary. Uh, the Steelers, they open as three-point favorites at home against the Bengals, with the over-under being 44. Now, I'm surprised the Steelers are just three-point favorites in this game. You know, it's Joe Burrow. It's his second shot against Pittsburgh. T.J. Watt, we're not sure if he's going to play, although, you know, the injury, they say it's not as serious as it, as it was thought to be, and it's very possible he can play, and that makes the difference in this game. And if T.J. Watt plays... Oh boy, this Bengals offensive line that struggled in weeks one and two, they're going to have their hands full, and it's going to make life very, very difficult for Joe Burrow to get the ball off and make those throws. Now, if T.J. Watt doesn't play, the offensive line, that pass rush, which already lost Bud Dupree in the offseason, is going to be a lot less uh, deadly. You know, T.J. Watt's not going to be drawing as many. There's not going to be anyone to have to double team, and the Bengals offensive line should be able to at least hold up against them. Uh, and not and the and the Pittsburgh pass rush won't have their way with Burrow like they would if T.J. Watt played. And Big Ben, he came up on the injury report this week as well. Uh, he he did practice yesterday and probably will today. He's still not 100. percent But this Bengals defense has been quietly underrated. Shut down the Bears offense. They looked decent against the Vikings for most of that game. So I think the Steelers are definitely gonna. Uh, you know, struggle a bit offensively in this game, especially with a not 100% Big Ben, not a great offensive line. It's going to be a close game, I really think. I think if T.J. Watt doesn't play, the Bengals will certainly cover the three-point spread. Uh, and, like, it could be, like, a one-point win for the Steelers. But with, you know, the Steelers' great defense, with or without Watt, uh, and the Steelers' suspect offense, this game is definitely going to go under 44 Titans, Colts. So at first I saw this line. The Titans opened as five and a half point fair to an over under 48 and a half. And I was like, wow, I actually really like the Colts plus five and a half in this game. Backs against the wall. Need a desperation win. But then I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot Carson Wentz is out and Jacob Easton's going to be playing. And Easton looked awful last week. Now granted, Easton was thrown into the fire last week. Didn't expect that to come in in a crunch time situation against a really good defense. Now he's playing a worse defense and he has a full week to prep. I just don't trust Jacob Beeson to really get going and win this game. I think the Titans are going to win this game. I think they're going to cover the 5.5-point spread because I just really don't trust this Colts offense. And for that reason, I don't, I'm going to go under 48.5. Chiefs-Chargers, after last week's heartbreaking loss against the Cowboys, the Chargers are looking to bounce back. And I like the Chargers a lot. That six-point spread is really, really a lot of points, and I think it's hard to pick Kansas City to take those points, especially we've seen Kansas City. They're not the best at covering the spread. No, they play a lot of close games, but they manage to win these games. The Chargers also manage to play a lot of these close games, and they manage to lose these games in just crazy, absurd fashion almost every single time. So I think they're going to keep this this game close against the Chiefs. I definitely have them covering the six-and-a-half-point spread. 
I do think, though, the Chiefs are going to find a way, win this game, pull out the victory against the Chargers, find a way to win like they do, while the Chargers find a way to lose like they do. I like these offenses. I think Herbert has a big bounce-back week offensively. Then the Chiefs' offense continues to roll, and this game goes over 54-and-a-half. Patriots open as 2.5-point favorites at home against the Saints with an over-under of 42-and-a-half. That's a low over-under, but honestly, I'm expecting to go under in this game. The Saints are a good defense, and so are the Patriots. The, you know, Jameis Winston, they're not going to have, they're not going to be without eight offensive assistant coaches again this week, but we saw Jameis Winston struggle with turnovers last week, and that's something that the Patriots defense loves to do. They feast on takeaways, especially cornerback Jameis Jackson. I think this could be a game where they force Jameis to another couple of mistakes. And Mac Jones, he's more of a game manager. He's not doing the game-changing plays. The Patriots' offense has yet to really get rolling. They're controlling the games with running the football. But the Saints have one of the NFL's better run defenses. So this will be a defensive game. Uh, I do think the Patriots will cover that 2.5-point spread. I like them at home. I'm not sure if Jameis can make enough plays to beat the Patriots. So giving the Patriots winning and covering 2.5 with under 42.5. Bills, Washington football team. Uh, the Washington football team, they're on 10 days rest after their thrilling win against the Giants, and now they look to upset the Bills, who are riding the high of a shutout win over the Miami Dolphins. And look, even though they scored 35 points last week, we haven't really seen the Bills' offense get rolling yet until late in that fourth quarter. And now they're playing against a really good Washington defense, although Washington's defense had struggled a bit against the Giants, especially in the read option and the deep ball. And that's something where Buffalo excels in. They love to attack deep with Stephon Diggs, with Gabriel Davis. And they love to run that read option with Josh Allen, especially in the red zone. So they could potentially expose that Washington defense. Uh, I think the Washington defense, though, will make enough plays, especially against that suspect Bills offensive line to cover 7.5. Taylor Haneke has been more than good since being the starting quarterback for Washington. So I think he gets them to hang around. Seven and a half just feels like a lot of points to lay, especially for a team coming off as lo- as much rest as Washington is. So I have them covering that, and I have this game going under 45 and a half. The Raiders opening up as four and a half points favorites against the Dolphins with the over-under being 44. So look, the Raiders... They just beat the Steelers. They just beat the Ravens two weeks ago. And they're trying to start 3-0 and after beating bad playoff teams. Now, this feels like a game that could be a trap game. I mean, the Dolphins were another team that was really good in 2020, just, just missing out on the playoffs. But they have their backup quarterback in, and they're currently just 1-1. This has the makings of a letdown game for the Raiders. Losing a backup quarterback at home after two big wins, especially what we've seen with the Raiders. But I don't know. I, I just kind of like the Raiders in this game. Brissett's going to be better this week than he was last week. And it's going to be he's playing a much worse defense than the Bills' defense. And he's had a full week to prep. Uh, so I think Brissett's going to actually do enough. Miami's going to cover that four-and-a-half-point spread. Uh, just just do enough to cover it. I don't think the Raiders are going to blow out Miami by any means. Although, I honestly can see a blowout coming out of nowhere for the Raiders, to be honest. Uh, this is a game I'm probably not touching because I can see Miami keeping it close and the Raiders not having their best game. But I can also see the Raiders blowing out and people being like, oh my god, this team's 3-0 because this, this is a confident team right now. They're playing with a ton of confidence. But I also think his Raiders receivers are not the best and that the Dolphins cornerbacks will be able to at least hang around and stick with um, not allowing 
the big plays from Henry Ruggs or uh, Henry Renfro or Edwards. And But yeah, Raiders win this game, Dolphins cover, and I think this game is going to be high scoring enough for this game to go over 44 points. The Broncos versus the New York Jets. I mean, life for Zach Wilson, man. Okay, you got against that Panthers defense, which is the top in the NFL right now. Granted, it's just been three opponents. And yeah, I didn't even talk about that Panthers-Texans game yet, but I'll get, I guess I'll do that at the end of the segment. Uh, life, I mean, now he, then he has to go against Bill Belichick, who murders rookie QBs. And now he goes against Vic Fangio. I mean, it's been a great stretch of matches for that Denver defense. Daniel Jones in the poorest Giants offensive line. Then he gets Trevor Lawrence in that awful Jaguars offense. Now he gets Zach Wilson and that crappy Jets offense. Jaguars, I mean, the Broncos defense should feast again here. That Jets offensive line is struggle without Mekhi Becton. Von Miller, if Bradley Chubb plays, should have a field day, honestly. And the Broncos really should win this game. No reason for them not to. Uh, I just, yeah, that just the way I feel. I, I do think, though, the Jets will cover. I think 10.5 is just a lot of points. I think maybe I think the Jets will get like a garbage time touchdown, and this game could be like 27-17 or something. Because in my opinion, that 41 and a half, it just feels a little too low, so I'd go over with that. I can see like just like just like a 10 point victory, maybe by a half point honestly, and make it 11. Uh, but yeah, like I don't know, Jets are not winning this game. Seahawks Vikings. Seahawks Vikings feels like a game we get every year now. And but it always feels like the Seahawks winning every year. Kirk Cousins find a way to choke against the Seahawks. Although one thing about Kirk Cousins, he did win in Seattle a few years ago uh, while on the Washington football team. But although this game, for once, it's not in prime time. It feels like every year this game's either Sunday night football or Monday night football. This year it's not. And look, if Dalvin Cook is healthy, it's going to be a tough game for the Seattle defense. Cook should play considering the fact he returned to the game last week. We saw Seattle's defense get burned by Henry. I can see Minnesota doing that. Look, this is a tough game to pick. In my opinion, this is the toughest game to pick all week. Uh, I do think I do think this is going to be like a one-point win, a very close Seattle victory, finding a way to win against the Vikings like they always do. So I actually do like the Vikings to cover one and a half, although it's very close because I just like Seattle to win. Uh, you know, the over-under is 55. Uh this game's going over. Initially, I had this said the under, but no, I think both these teams are going to score 30-plus. And, yeah, Seahawks win this game. Very close. Can't see the Vikings winning. Could switch that pick, especially that 0-2 desperation, must-win game mentality. And over 55. Now, Bucks open as 1.5-point favorites at the Rams, and this over-under is also 55.5. Now, this game was last year. The Rams were the last team to actually beat the Bucks last season as Jordan Fuller picked off Tom Brady two times in that game. The 199th overall pick from 2020, picking off the 1999 199th overall pick. And look, this Rams defense, they had that recipe. But since then, obviously, the Bucks went on a tear, won their remaining regular season games, won the Super Bowl, still undefeated this year. But this Rams team, you know, they won that game last year on defense. It wasn't Jared Goff making plays. 
Now they got Matt Stafford in hopes that they'll be up there with the Bucs in terms of contention. And if weeks one and two are any, any indication, the Rams look like a legitimate title contender with Matt Stafford back there. Look, the Bucks defense, they're without, their, they're without at probably their two starting corners this game. We've seen the secondary struggle with Stafford's arm with this McVay offense. I think the Rams offense can actually make a lot of plays against the Tampa defense. I think the Rams end up actually pulling off the upset and winning this game. So they were the last team to beat Tampa Bay, and they're going to be the team that ends their winning streak. So obviously I have them covering that one-and-a-half-point spread. I think Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald are going to make life a little difficult for Tom Brady. I mean, he went up against the Dallas defense and the Atlanta defense, which is a lot different than this Rams defense. Uh, I think Brady still has a good game, but I think the Rams just escaped, this, escaped Tampa Bay with a victory. Uh, 55 and a half just seems to get very high over-under, so I'm actually going to go under this game. Uh, but again, Rams win and cover one and a half. Sunday night football, 49ers open as three-and-a-half-point favorites against the Packers. Now, we've seen Rodgers, especially when these when the Niners have been good, historically struggle in San Francisco and just honestly in the West Coast when any of those teams are good. They always manage to make life difficult for Rodgers. I think that's going to continue this week. Now they're going to control this game uh, with running the football, with Jimmy G opening the play-action pass. The defense is going to get after Rodgers, who the O-line still struggling a bit with that. Baccaridi. Uh Look, it's going to be always like these games always come down to like a field goal. So I have the Packers covering three and a half. And uh, go over go over in this game. I actually forgot to write down the over-under. I believe it was 48 and a half. Uh, I mean, the over-under has been killing it in Sunday Night Football this year. Monday Night Football. And look, I love watching these games. I love watching the NFC East rivalries. It's Dallas Cowboys opening up its four-point favorites against the Eagles. With the over-under opening up, it's 51.5. Look, I love watching these NFC East rivalry games. They're fun. Even though I hate these two teams with a passion, it's always a goddamn fun game watching these two teams hate each, who hate each other. And it's funny. I'm not even watching the game. I got early screenings to go see Venom, too. So, looks like I'm going to be doing that Monday night instead. And the NFC is just full of rivalries. Dallas, they looked impressive in Week 1. The offense hung around with Tampa Bay. And they got huge defensive stops in Week 2 against the Chargers. And look... Micah Parsons, I can see him having an impact against the Eagles, much like he did last week against the L.A. Chargers. But Hurts, you know, last we saw Hurts week one, ball out against the Falcons defense. Week two, struggled against San Francisco's. Dallas defense isn't as good as it showed last week. I think Hurts is going to make enough plays. I think Dallas ends up winning this game, especially at home. Uh, I actually initially wrote down that I had the Eagles covering, but... Looking back at it, I expect him to run and make some plays. Uh, I think Dallas probably wins this game, maybe just covering minus four. The over-under is close, but I'm expecting just like under 51 and a half. And you know what? I'm actually going to take the Eagles plus four. And I have Dallas win this game something like 27-24. Uh, so yeah, recapping. Recapping all my winners, I have the... Give me a second... I have the Cardinals winning, I have the Giants winning, I have the Ravens winning, the Browns winning, the Steelers winning, Broncos winning, Seahawks, Rams, Niners, and Cowboys. So pretty much all the favorites this week. Yeah, nothing too exciting. Now we're going to move on and talk a little college football before we wrap up the show. CJ Stroud is out this week. I know, like, he's not really hurt. They did they're playing accurate. Ohio State just won the rest him for a shoulder injury. And I'm excited, though, to see <coughs> Kyle McCord and possibly uh, Jack Miller play. 
Now, McCord, I'm really excited to see this guy. He was a more highly rated recruit than C.G. Stroud was. He is the best arm of the group, and he was one of the top-rated quarterbacks coming in as a freshman. Now, he's again, it's not he's not going to be running the football much like how Stroud wasn't, but at least with him, like you know he's not a threat to run the football, unlike Stroud, who runs these RPOs. McCord's more of a pocket passer, and look, it's not about the stats. We're playing Akron, but it's about seeing if Kyle McCord can make these throws C.J. Stroud wasn't. With Stroud's shoulder, he was missing a lot of throws, overthrowing a lot of receivers. I mean, Olave had zero catches against Tulsa in that game, which just can't happen, and that's really what it's about. Can McCord make these throws that C.J. Stroud wasn't? You know, Olave and Wilson are one of the are the best wide receiver duo in the country. Get them going. Hit them deep. Don't miss them the way C.J. Strouds are missing them. And it's not just Stroud missing those guys on deep shots. He's missing, missing Jackson Smith and Jibwa. Uh, he's missing some plays, throwing down, checking down to the running backs. McCord's not going to do that. And look, he might put up like six touchdowns against Akron. Even if he puts up the six touchdowns, it's not going to be the six touchdowns that make me say, oh, let's start Kyle McCord all of a sudden. But again, it's just about making those throws, not overthrowing guys. And even Stroud, he has one red zone touchdown this year. One. McCord has to make those throws in the red zone. Stop relying on just the 80-yard, the big play touchdowns from Travion Henderson or the big catch and runs from Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave to get us those points. No. Put drives together that we have not seen Stroud do and make those throws. Regardless, I'm excited to see McCord. Uh, this game by no means means McCord's going to be the starter, but if he makes those throws, like it does raise the question, can McCord be the starter going forward? Very excited to see him start. I'm very excited to see what this young kid can give us. Uh, we have Wisconsin-Notre Dame, and we don't get this much in college football, but we're getting the Jack Cohn revenge game. I mean, Jack Cohn left Wisconsin, was, you know, was thought to be the starting quarterback there, but uh, in the end... They ended up running with Graham Mertz. Cohn transferred to Notre Dame and now gets a chance at revenge. Now, initially, I actually had Wisconsin winning this game. Uh, yeah, seeing Notre Dame with their struggles, you know, they barely beat Florida State, needing double overtime, and Florida State's now 0-3. They escaped Purdue. They struggled before eventually pulling away. Excuse me, they escaped Toledo, struggled before eventually pulling away against Purdue. And Wisconsin, look, they crushed Eastern, Eastern Michigan. They had a sloppy mistake-filled loss to Penn State, and they had a bye week. So they're on extra rest, despite not having home field advantage. It's going to be a good game against Notre Dame. It's in Chicago. But I just like the Jack Cohen revenge game in this. And also, it's in Chicago. The Barstool guys are going. It just seems like that would happen. Big Cat gets to go go to Chicago, see that game, and watch as his team just break his heart with their former quarterback, Jack Cohen, getting revenge. Uh... Clemson, NC State. Clemson has a tough matchup, a trap game against NC State. And NC State has always played Clemson tough in recent seasons. Clemson's going to win this game, but I think NC State actually covers that 10-point spread. It's crazy that's only a 10-point spread, to be honest. But, you know, Clemson, they didn't look good last week, and NC State always does play them well, so Vegas knows something. Rutgers versus Michigan. Uh, it's that start of a big 10 play for both of them, and they're both undefeated. Yeah, undefeated Rutgers, and look, Rutgers, they're not going to go into Ann Arbor and beat that team up north. Uh, but I, I can see them covering, honestly. I can see them hanging around. Covering 20.5 is a huge spread. Maybe just to be safe and you will maybe want that push by a half point and get it 21. Uh, yeah, so, you know, they'll hang around, I think, and may, maybe get some garbage time points. I'm excited for this game, actually. Big test for Rutgers after three cakewalks. But, hey, they handled the cakewalks. 
Arkansas versus AM. It's an exciting SEC game. I mean, Arkansas, they've had some rough, rough years the last few seasons, but they're up to 16 now. And this AM team, they've looked a bit sloppy this year. They're escaping Colorado, even a slow start against Kent State. Arkansas is hot. However, the AM defense is really good. It's won them all three of their games this season. I think it's going to be a game where the defense wins wins in the game against Arkansas. Now, I think Arkansas covers that four-and-a-half-point spread, keeping it close. It'll be a defensive matchup. I don't trust the AM offense just yet. So give me AM winning this game with Arkansas covering. And then just to wrap up, uh, just a few other games quickly before I end the show. I think Iowa State's going to stave off Baylor's upset bid. They cover seven. UCLA, they're going to have a tough matchup against Stanford, who's better than people think. Stanford covers six and a half, but UCLA, they're going to avoid just getting upset again. Michigan State, I think they're going to continue to roll. They look great so far. I think they hammer Nebraska at home, and they cover five. UF, they're good. Tennessee's not. UF always beats Tennessee. Yeah, Florida wins, covers 14 and a half. Oklahoma, they're 17 and a half point favorites against West Virginia. We've seen them struggle against Tulane. Saw them struggle against Nebraska. The way they've looked, you have to take West Virginia in this game to cover 17 and a half. It's just way too many points. One team I love, I love Boston College as an underdog against Missouri. I think I'm going to take them straight up to win that game. BC's at home. Jeff Halfley's been a fantastic coach for them. And Missouri, they're all right. Texas Tech, they've looked good early on. They always play Texas tough, and they're going to cover eight and a half against Texas. And the last game, Mississippi State, they're pissed off. They think they got screwed by officiating last week and that's why they lost that game. They're angry. They're going to come out and then they're going to beat LSU at home. And that's much. Wow, I didn't even talk about Thursday Night Football. Uh, I guess I'll quickly touch on that. I mean, it was a shitty game. That's really all there was to it. I barely watched. Davis Mills is not good. We know that the Texans aren't good. Uh, big losses for the Panthers, though. J.C. Horn was looking fantastic this game. Although, just a broken foot. Non-contact injury, think it's the Achilles, think it's the ACL, so J.C. Horn is back. Excited to see what he does when he's healthy, because he was off to a special start. And CMC hurt again. Really rough game for CMC, hurting his hamstring, and now, like, who knows how long he's going to be out, because you saw the offense played a lot better when he was healthy than when he wasn't. But yeah, that's all I really have for the game, and that's now all I have for my show. Again, I want to thank everyone who supported the podcast thus far. Remember, go follow the Birds of You podcast on Instagram for all my latest episode releases. Go follow Jay Birds of You on Twitter for all my latest live reactions to games. Thank you, everybody, and have a great rest of your day.